right, all right. What's going on in BC Ireland town? How you guys doing this morning? We good? We good? All right. And so it's good to be with you. If you're new, welcome. My name is Eric. I'm the location pastor here. If you got a Bible with you, uh, go ahead and turn to John 15. John 15, that's where we're going to be. Uh, I'm going to start from verse 1, and we're going to head down to verse 8. John 15, um, 1 through 8, and I'll meet you there in a second. And so listen, we're in the middle of a series. If you've been here with us for a while, uh, we're in the middle of a series titled, uh, You Need a Biblical Church. And this whole series uh, is helpful uh, to the whole congregation, but I think it's going to be specifically helpful uh, to our congregation for a few reasons. See, here's one. You see, I love the city of Arlington. Uh, If you look at the data and the polls, Arlington is consistently ranked up there uh, with with one of the the best places to live in in the United States. And here's the thing, you wouldn't know it by the home prices, right? Uh, but, uh, but it's consistently right up there. Many people flock to Arlington to call it home, especially young adults uh, starting their careers. So many of you came here because you got a job and like consultant. And we know consultant is the DC word uh, that says, don't ask me nothing else, right? And so uh, consulting and politics or whatever field you're in, we move uh, to this city excited and ready to take on the world, right? So people flock here. And then what tends to happen is after a couple of years, people leave here, right? So what tends to happen is the cost gets high or it gets hard to live here or it gets hard to raise a family here or the idealism of of D.C. begins to fade a bit. And for all these reasons, our area tends to be a transient place. And in light of that, our church tends to be a transient place. And and I would say this transience has formed uh, some of my prayer life for you. You see, first, uh, something that I pray for often is that Arlington will become, for many of you, not simply a place that you pass through on the way to somewhere else. But I often pray that there's going to be a group of people who call this city their home, and they commit to the way of Jesus Christ right here uh, in the middle uh, of the city, even though it's hard. Because, listen, we need a people who are going to serve as a welcome wagon uh, for new people uh, in our city. Because in order for people to feel at home in the church, there needs to be a people who are already here that call it home, and they have made it home, right? And so what I appreciate about this series, is it describes the kind of vibe that we want our home to have, right? I don't know if you ever watch home uh, decoration shows, but I'm about to oppress you with my knowledge real quick. You see, when you look at home decor, uh, there's a lot of different styles, a lot of different feels, a lot of different vibes that, 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 that a home could have, right? So you got rustic. You got bohemian, you got mid-century modern, right? You got minimalistic, right? Y'all, y'all, y'all like that? Y'all, y'all like that? See, that's a, and here's the thing. When it, when it comes to even home styles, there's a particular style that God wants his church to have, his home to have, where his spirit dwells to have. He wants his church to take on certain characteristics. And in this series, it's going to be a good reminder of the kind of church that we want to welcome people into. But not only do I pray for people to commit um, to uh, make NBC Arlington their home for the long haul, I also pray because I know for many of you, you're going to leave and you're going to move on uh, to uh, other places. And my prayer for you is the same thing that my mom used to say to me. She used to always say this line to me, Eric, when you leave my house, act like you got some home training, right? And what that meant was this, like I trained you well here, so act like that when you enter the world. So our prayer is that when you leave here, that you will experience a biblical church so that when you leave here and go to another place and it's time to choose another church, you're not out here choosing any mess, right? Like you're choosing on what um, Jesus describes a church should actually be. And so today we're going to talk about one of those characteristics. And I pray that this leads you to rejoice in who God is and to respond to what he calls you to. 
And so the characteristic that we're going to talk about or straight is biblical discipleship. So if you got a Bible, John 15, 1 through 8, let's read it and we'll jump in. Here it is. It says, I'm the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. And if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And this is the word of God. Amen. Now let's take a moment to pray together. And Father, we come before you today grateful, grateful that you did not give up on us. That while we were on a hellbound race, while we were completely indifferent, while we were going the opposite direction of you, that you would send your son in order to seek and find us, that you would save us and produce spiritual life in us and change us from the inside out. Father, I pray that what you began in us, you said in your word that it's a promise that what you began in us will continue until the day of Christ Jesus. And so, Father, we pray that within this church body that you'll complete that work, that you'll transform us from the inside out, that you will continue to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to hear your word today and respond to it as we should in faith and obedience. And so I pray these things in the only way that I can. And that's in the matchless name of your son, Jesus Christ. So I pray these things in his name. If you agree, say amen, amen. Hey, guys, so listen, it's my birthday this week, right? It's my birthday. I'm getting old. I ain't going to tell you how old I am. But I ain't tell you that so you can get me something. Matter of fact, don't do that. But I, I told you in order to illustrate something that happened to me when I was born. You see, I'm an October baby. I was born in October. Any October birthdays in the house? Anybody in here? Happy birthday to y'all. Happy birthday. I see a few of you guys. Uh, but, uh, see, I was born in October, but I was supposed to be born in January. See, I was born uh, three months early. My mom went into labor three months early, and the doctors were doing everything that they could to delay my birth, right? But in that, uh, but they couldn't do it. And the reason why is because in that moment, I illustrate something that is true of me now. I'm nosy, right? I had to find out what was going on in the other room. Right? And so I was born severely premature, and this is in the 80s, and it was kind of a miracle that I actually survived. When I was born, I was born at 28 weeks, and I weighed one pound of 15 ounces. Right? Crazy, right? And so because of that, there was a specific environment that I had to live in. There was a specific environment that they had to place me in in order that I might grow. Without it, I would have died. And this environment was called, or is called, an incubator. If you don't know what an incubator is, incubator is this enclosed glass kind of crib or, or see-through crib. Uh, it's kind of like a box that creates the conditions and environment in which a baby that can't survive on its own can otherwise live and grow and thrive. And when I think about that, I think about the Christian life. You see, if you've been saved by Jesus, there was a day in which you were born again, that you were made new. 
that the God of heaven reached down and saved you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And like the passage says in 2 Corinthians 5 that we studied last week, you became a new creation, that you were born again by the word of the gospel. Everything is new. And here's the thing. When you are born again, listen to me this morning. There's a specific environment in which you are to exist so that you can spiritually thrive and grow. And what is that environment? That environment is in Christ. In Christ. See, here's the thing. Christians are people who are not only born again by Jesus, we are called to make our homes in Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. You see, Christ not only births a new people, he also incubates a new people. See, he helps us grow so that we can be made new. And here's the thing, when we, and I'll, I'll explain what that means, but when we make our home in Christ, what happens is we grow. We begin to be transformed more and more and more into the character of Jesus Christ. Galatians 5 describes his character. It describes his character uh, as, as one of being of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You begin to embody the character of Jesus Christ. But let me tell you where my analogy breaks down. You see, I went into the incubator when I was a baby. I went into the incubator in October, but I got out in January. See, what that meant is I grew to the point where I could live on my own, where life and growth in my body could happen outside of the incubator, right? But that's not like Jesus. When you were saved by Christ, you never ever get to the point where you can survive and grow without him. You never do. We never grow to the point where you are spiritually strong and self-sufficient and you can make it on our own. Hear me this morning. Discipleship to Jesus is not marked by an increased self-sufficiency. It is marked by an increased humble dependency. This is what discipleship is. Jesus has and will always be the source of your spiritual life and growth. And so today we're going to talk about what does it mean to remain in him. We're going to talk about, simply speaking, spiritual growth today. We're going to talk about the power of growth. Where does the energy for growth come from? We're going to talk about the mechanics of growth. How exactly does it happen? And then we're going to talk about the evidence of growth. How, how do I know that I'm growing? So this is what John 15 is all about. First, we're going to talk about the power of growth. Where does it come from? Look at verse 1. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. I love further down in verse 5, Jesus says this. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He's naming all the character here, characters here of the metaphor. He says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, Jesus in this passage, he uses a metaphor of vine and branches. He's the vine, we're the branches, and he's trying to describe this. Just like branches grow fruit by being incubated in the vine. People grow by being incubated in Christ. And verse 5 declares that apart from this vital connection, from this incubation in Christ, we can accomplish nothing. And what that means is that you and nothing else in this world can produce the kind of life and transformation that only Jesus can give. Only he can do it. Jesus, the author of creation, is committed to your spiritual chains. And you may not believe that this morning. You may look at your life right now and you're thinking, man, I got these things in my life that I've lived with for my entire existence, man. I've always been bitter. I've never been able to forgive. I have this nagging sin within me that I can't seem to get rid of. And you're tempted to believe that you can never change. But hear me this morning. How does a bitter person become a forgiving person? 
How does a hateful person become a loving person? By the power of Jesus. It can happen. When you are incubated in Christ, growth is inevitable. Growth is inevitable. Hear me today. You can write this down. When Jesus becomes your source of life, he changes your life. When Jesus becomes your source of life, he changes your life. You might look at me and say, Eric, that sounds great, but what does it mean to make something my life? What exactly does it mean? I'll give you this. What you say your life is about is not always what your life is about. So how do you know? Well, here's some clues. Whatever your life is, is whatever that controls you. It's what you find your sense of self in. Without it, you're nothing. It's the thing in your life that controls your actions. It's the thing that determines your emotions. It's the thing that commands your obedience. I'll give you a DC example. For many of us, that's our work. For so many of us, here's the issue. We make our work our lives. So you don't know who you are without your job title. It's synonymous with who you are. Your deepest joys are tied to your successes at work, and your deepest despair is tied to your failures at work, right? For some of you, your life revolves around work. It, it makes you you. It's the reason why you get out of bed in the morning. It's the greatest factor in your decision-making, your job. Some of y'all, that, that probably hits you in the chest, but for some of you guys, it probably doesn't. Because here's the thing, for some of the things that we're tempted to make our lives about, they're actually good things that we make ultimate things. It might not be work. It could be family. It could be romance. It could be leisure. It could be pleasure. These are all good things from the source of life that were never intended to be our lives. And Jesus says in the first one, he says, listen, I'm the true vine, meaning that I am meant to be your life. He says, I'm the one that can give you a sense of self that you're looking for, that I'm the one that should animate your life. I'm the one. I'm the should be the reason why you get out of bed this morning. And discipleship begins when you make Jesus your life. And so the question that I want to give you this morning, the question that I want to ask you is this, is Jesus your life? So where discipleship begins, is Jesus your life? I don't want you to answer immediately. Look at verse 2. It says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. I want to focus on the first half of that verse. First half of that verse says, it's describing a branch, right? And it's describing this phenomenon that you might not know. It's describing the fact that a branch can have a visible connection to the source of life and not derive life from the vine, right? He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. See, in this metaphor, Jesus is describing that it's possible to have an outward superficial connection to Jesus, and yet Jesus still isn't the source of your life. This is possible. And this is important for us to understand because discipleship is not simply about coming to church on Sunday. Discipleship is not simply about reading your Bible. Discipleship is not simply about praying. Those are all important things that we should do as followers of Jesus. However, it's possible for you to do those things without Jesus actually being your life. It's possible for you to do all these things in an attempt to twist Jesus' arm to give you what, you, what really is your life. I'll explain to you by, by an analogy, y'all. I'm, I'm getting older. I've been a pastor for about 16 years. 
And years ago, I remember sitting down uh, with someone who from the outside looking in, if anybody was connected to Christ, this person was. Remember sitting down with her, she was certainly a member of our church and she led a, a Bible study, led a ministry, was in church every single Sunday, even led a group with a, even led a group with a group of a, a single woman. And, and she was a single woman herself and, and she eventually was pursued by a man and uh, this man uh, got down on one knee and proposed to her and she said yes and she came to my office and we sat down and we talked about it. And as we talked about it, it came to light uh, that, um, that, that he, he didn't, believe in Jesus Christ, didn't think Christianity was something worth believing in. And I remember talking about this for a little bit, and I remember asking her this question. I remember saying to her, hey, like, so you've indicated that Christ is your life, and your fiancé has indicated that Christ isn't his life. I don't know if marriage is the best idea. Like, what, why are you doing this? And we talked about that for a little bit, but I'll never forget what she said to me. And I want to read it because I want to make sure I get it right. She said, Eric, I just want to be married. And I believe God wants to be married. And that's enough for me. Here's the thing. In that statement, I'm not making any statements on this person's status with Jesus. However, in that statement, she indicated exactly what I was talking about. She was a person that was connected to Christ. But, the, but Christ was not the source of her life. It was not the reason why she got out of bed this morning. You see, you see, she revealed in that moment that her life was romantic love, that she was connected to Jesus so that he could give her what really was her life. You see, she was connected to Jesus visibly, but she was, but she was not drawing on Jesus to be the source of her life. You see, for many of us today, it might not be romance. But let, let me hear, I want you to hear me today. It is possible to be outwardly connected to Jesus and not draw on Jesus as the source of your life, to use him to get something else. Hear me this morning. Hear me loud and clear. Jesus' arms are too strong to be twisted. Jesus' arms are too strong to be twisted. You see, Jesus is a good savior. You know what that means? That means what he desires to give you is better than what you could possibly want, no matter how good you think it is, right? You see, Jesus' arms will not be twisted to give you something that's worse than he desires to give you. And do you know what Jesus desires to give you? He desires to give you the best thing. He desires to give you himself, himself. And a disciple is somebody that realizes that, that Jesus is my life. I love it. My grandma used to sing a song that illustrates this. It's not proper English, but she would sing it, and it's so true. I thought about it last night. She used to sing this song. I searched all over. I can't find nobody. I've searched high and low. Still can't find nobody. Nobody greater. Nobody greater. Nobody greater than you. To be a disciple is to believe that, that Jesus is the greatest thing, that Jesus is your life. Let me ask you today, is Jesus your life? Is Jesus your life? I'm not asking you if you prayed a prayer when you were five. I'm not, I'm not asking you if you made a profession of faith. I'm asking you right now where you sit right now. Is Jesus the source of your life today? Today, he's the Shuvan. I love what verse three describes. It says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. But let me tell you, Jesus here didn't just switch metaphors. He didn't give an agricultural analogy in verses 1 to 2 and then switch his analogy to taking a bath. No, this is the same analogy. The word for cling in the Greek pretty much mean, meant strip. 
It was a process of preparing a branch to make sure that it was receiving life from uh, the vine, right? And Jesus is saying that my word has already done this in the disciples. And I love this because what Jesus is saying here, that we, that Jesus becomes our life, not on the basis of our work, but on the basis of his. You see, when you became a Christian, you know what happened? You heard the word of God and his word produced spiritual life in you. You were changed. You were brand new when you trusted and believed in the word of the gospel. That's what happened. And hear me today, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the opportunity today to do what I just described. You have the opportunity today to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You can have new life today. Here's the story of your life. You see, here's the thing. You were created and you were created for a purpose. And you were created for God. And what that means is this. It's that you were created to have a relationship with God in which you were were, you were meant to be dependent on him as your source of life. And instead of doing that, we told him no. We said that, listen, instead of following you and you being the source of my life, I know the path of life better than you do. The Bible calls this sin. We disobeyed him. And instead of getting the life that we thought we were getting, you know what we got instead? We got death. But God, our infinite God in mercy, who in every way was, is in his just rights to judge us and condemn us, out of love and mercy, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, for us. Jesus Christ came, this is such good news, and he lived a life of full obedience to his father. And yet, he died the death that we deserve on the cross for our sin, taking the punishment that we deserve. He rose again in power, proving that he's victorious over sin, death, and the grave. And he did this so that now by the word of the gospel, we can receive Jesus and a new source of life by repenting of our sin and trusting in Jesus and his work on the cross for our salvation. This is good news. And the beautiful thing about it is not only do we get credit for the, for the work of Jesus, his perfect life. Here's the good news. The word of the gospel, what it does is it produces his life in us. It changes us from the inside out. It makes us new. And if you don't know Jesus, you can get in on that. Trust and believe in Jesus for salvation. It's his work, not yours, that transforms you. But real quick, go back to my opening analogy. When I was born, I didn't do the work of placing myself in the incubator. I wasn't born and tiptoed over to the incubator. I couldn't do that, right? Somebody else's hands placed me there. I was incubated by something else. And hear me this morning. Not only is Jesus the vine from which we receive life, he's also, he also did the work of grafting you in. He also did the work of incubating you. Jesus is the true vine, and in him we have the power to change. We have the power to change. So, so far we've seen the power to change and where that, where that comes from. That comes from Christ. But you might think, okay, Eric, that sounds great. That, that, hey, if I'm grafting in Jesus... He has the power to change me, but how exactly does that happen? What, what are the mechanics of, of this change? See, I love the fact that if Jesus did all the work to place you in himself so that you might grow, here's the thing. You know how we grow? What are the mechanics of change? We grow by staying put. By staying put. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit, by itself, unless it abides in a vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, abide in your Bibles is a Greek word, minnow, simply means to remain. Abide is a word that simply means to, 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 to hang out, to kick your feet up, to make yourself at home. What it's saying is this. And there was a day that Jesus became your life. And when he becomes your life, what discipleship is, is saying, listen, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going after other sources of life. He made, like, he made me. He incubated me. I'm not going anywhere. He is my life. That every day, moment by moment, day by day, you are resting in Jesus' work for you. I'll put it a different way, and I'll give you an analogy. Abiding is bringing this big statement that Jesus is my life. It's bringing that statement down to the level of your days. How you spend your day-to-day, moment-by-moment. I'll give an example. A month back, I had surgery, right? I had surgery on my Achilles. I already told you guys the story of that. And so I remember sitting in pre-op, doctor comes in, I'm hanging out with Janique, we're joking, we're laughing. And the doctor comes in, and I guess he sees just my size, I'm not the biggest guy. And uh, I remember um, he, he, he looks at my mon- the monitor, and uh, apparently my heart rate was extremely low. Resting heart rate was extremely low. And he looked at me, and he says, Eric, yo, are you, you must be an athlete. And I looked at him, I said, yeah, I'm an athlete. And uh, my wife, I knew it. I didn't even look at her. I knew she had a look on her face. And, and, and in that moment, I said, I'm not going to look at her because I know she has a look on her face. And so I, I didn't in the moment, but she kept the look on her face because she knew why I was not looking at her. And like five minutes later, when I look over, she had a look that was something like this. That was her look, right? So why was that her look? Because she knew that big statement I just made that I am an athlete that did not filter down to the level of my days. She knew how I spent my days, right? She knows I do not be working out like that, right? She knows that the heaviest things I lift are weights named Roman and Eli, my kids, right? You see, she, know, she knew something that the daughter didn't know. That I can't call myself an athlete if my days aren't committed to the way of an athlete. And the same here, hear me today. A life animated by Jesus is demonstrated by a daily commitment to the way of Jesus. This is why in verse 8, it's talking about proving that we are his disciples. Y'all, we don't prove that we are, we are disciples to God. God knows. No, we're proving to ourselves and to the world around us that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to be a disciple? It's not simply declaring that Jesus is your life. It's day by day, moment by moment, abiding in him. And we abide in him moment by moment. What do we experience? We experience change. You can write this down. Those who have made Jesus their life spend their days adopting his way of life. Those who have made Jesus their life spend their days adopting his way of life. And here's the thing. I want to to be careful here. Adopting uh, the way of Jesus does not earn your salvation. It doesn't earn uh, spiritual growth. But no, adopting the way of Jesus does prove that you are his. It does prove your salvation. And it puts you in a position to receive the spiritual growth that Jesus has. Right? I'll put it differently. When we become captured by the beautiful life of Jesus, we'll always and necessarily adopt the way of Jesus. I'll give an example. Give you another one. 
Michael Jordan, greatest basketball player that ever lived. You can fight me on that, right? But uh, I remember Michael Jordan, uh, he was asked one time, well, name some players that you would love to play one-on-one -on -one in their primes. So he named a long list of players, and then he said, you know what, I, I would beat all of them. I don't think I'd lose, other than to Kobe Bryant because he steals all of my moves, right? And he said, Michael Jordan, in that moment, he was revealing something that the league already knew about Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant desperately wanted to be like Mike. I mean, I wanted to be like Mike growing up, but Kobe Bryant took it to a different level, right? And so Kobe Bryant desperately wanted to be like Mike, so he patterned everything that he did after Michael Jordan, even down to the details. So the way that he wore his uniform, the way that he even chewed gum, the way that he did his signature uh, fadeaway, he would watch tape of Michael Jordan so obsessively so that he can get all of his moves down pat. Where am I going with this? You see, Kobe Bryant was so captured by a particular way of life, by a particular life, so he gave himself to a particular way of life. He was so captured and enamored by the outcome of the life of Michael Jordan, his basketball prowess, so he committed himself to the way of Michael Jordan. And I say that this is pretty much an accurate description of discipleship. Discipleship was to be so captured by the life of Jesus Christ, by faith to be enamored by who Jesus Christ is and what he's done, to see and experience his love and grace and mercy. And all you want to do now is to be like him. Like all you want to do now is to adopt his way of life. Let me give you a definition of a disciple. A disciple is someone who gives themselves to the way of Jesus in order to produce the life of Jesus in increasing measure. A disciple is someone who gives himself to the way of Jesus. They're animated by Jesus Christ. They give themselves to the way of Jesus in order that Jesus might produce his life in them in an increasing way. To abide means to give ourselves to his way. We give ourselves to his way of prayer. We give ourselves to the way of his word. We let his words abide in us. We give ourselves to the way of his people, the church. And every day when the world entices us to leave the home that we've made in Christ, what we do and what abiding is, is us declaring, I have a good thing at home. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. See, what abiding is, is the practice of giving ourselves over to different practices that helps us remember that the life we have in Christ is better than anything the world has to offer. So my kids are at the age now where um, every time we go out, they ask for stuff. And it don't matter if we got the stuff at home already, right? Especially when we go to Target. My youngest son's pastime, he got used to me uh, riding the motorized scooter in Target right when I had the cast. That every time we go to Target, even though I can walk, he wants to ride. And so I still do that, right? But every single time we go to Target, I intentionally avoid the toy aisle, specifically where the Hot Wheels are, because rest assured, if I drive past it, my kids are going to ask for one. And it's sure to be a meltdown, because they ask me for one, I say no, they get sad, until I had a stroke of genius. There was a day when they were playing with all the cars on the floor at the house, and so you know what I did when I was at home? I took a photo of them playing with all their cars. And I did that. Because, and it actually worked out, because next time that we were out and we rolled by the toy aisle, my sons characteristically saw a toy, and they said, hey, I love that toy car, can I have that? And instead of simply saying, no, you know what I did? I broke up my phone, and I showed them playing with all their toy cars at home. I even zoomed in on the car, right? <laughs> I did all of that, and pretty much I looked at them and I said, hey, sons, we got a better thing at home. You got better cars at home.
Hear me this morning. Do you know what abiding is? When the world is enticing you, is enticing you and attracting you and tempting you to believe that there's life found outside of Christ, abiding is you declaring, you know what? I got something better at home and I'm staying right there. Hear me. Abiding is the practice of holding up Christ like I held up my cell phone. And, and you remember that what you have is better. You see, when we meditate on God's word, when we pray, when we practice the disciplines, when we gather together as God's people and prioritize being together to be encouraged by one another, what we're doing is we're holding up the life of Christ and we're declaring to ourselves that what I have at home is better. I'm staying here. What I have at home in bed is better. I'm staying here. And that's abiding. And when we do that, what can we expect? We'll go home soon. But let me tell you what we can expect. When we adopt the way of Jesus, when his life becomes our life, when we adopt his way, you will necessarily grow. So I love verse 8. Verse 8 describes uh, this process. Verse 8 says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. When you commit yourself to the way of Jesus, what, 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 what does it produce? It produces spiritual growth in you. But I want to show you from this text as I close just two specific areas that I think you see growth in this text before I sit down. So as we're walking with Jesus Christ, some of you may be thinking, man, how do I know that I'm growing? What are, what are some of the indicator signs? Well, let me show you two that I think we see in this text. How do you know that you're growing? When you are abiding in Christ, you'll begin to see a change in your relationship to pain and your relationship to prayer. In your relationship to pain and your relationship to prayer. First pain as we close. I want you to go back and look at verse 2. Look at the end of that verse. So verse 1, it describes the father as being the vine dresser. And it says, every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that, so that it may bear more fruit. I don't know if you've ever seen the process of pruning, right? I don't know if you've ever seen a gardener cutting down a bush or something. But when you look at it, it looks like the gardener is actually killing the bush, right? Like things, leaves and twigs and everything's laying out on the ground. Even like things that look like they're alive, fruit is laying uh, on, on, on the ground, right? So why does a gardener do this? The gardener's not pruning a plant in order to kill a plant. The gardener is pruning the plant in order to produce more growth in it. And listen to me today. When you find your life in Christ and you abide in Jesus, Jesus, the all-powerful Savior that we have of the universe, demonstrates his power and his commitment to your growth. And he will use every tool at his disposal to produce growth in you, including pain. Including pain. Hear me this morning. Jesus does not prune anything away that was necessary for your growth. Jesus does not prune away anything if he does not intend it to help you grow. And let me tell you today, this is hard to understand. I don't always understand it. Think about things in my life that have been taken away, and I don't get why, what God was up to. I don't get what God was up to when, 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 when my dad was taken away from us because he had pancreatic cancer. I don't know what God was up to. I don't always get it, but when I don't get it, hear me today, I know that I can look to Christ. I can look to Christ. I love it. When I look to Christ and I look at the cross, this is what I see. If God was so committed to our transformation that he takes the precious life of his own son 
I know that he remains committed to my transformation when he takes something precious from me. And God was so committed to our transformation that he would take the life of his only son. I know that he remains committed to my transformation when he takes something precious from me. And hear me this morning. It doesn't mean that you got to like it. Doesn't mean you got to grin and smile all over the place when something precious of yours gets taken away. But to be a Christian is to be filled with the hope that is God, is, God is able to use difficulty even to produce a beautiful life in you. God is so powerful and wise that he, he could use pain in order to do that. And this leads to, um, this relates to prayer as well. And we'll go home on this. Look at verse 7. A man can go ahead and come back up. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And I could spend forever on that verse, but I won't. Let me tell you what that verse is not saying. That verse is not saying that if you abide in Jesus, that if you ask anything that you could possibly ask for, that Jesus would say, I, Jesus says, I automatically would give it to you simply because you asked it. No, what it's describing is this. Remember, this is the context in the context of abiding. He's describing what happens when you abide. Y'all know the saying when you were young, right? Like, uh, show me your closest five friends and I'll show you your future. Y'all know the phrase, right? The reason why that phrase is actually accurate is because the people that you hang out with change you. The people that you hang out with shape you. And this verse is describing that when you abide in Christ, what tends to happen is this. You change. Your desires become his desire. The more that you hang out with Jesus Christ, what he wants for you and the world becomes what you actually want for you and the world. And you begin to grow to the point when those desires become yours and you actually begin to pray to God for those desires to be done. And when you begin to pray God's desires back to him, when you do that, prayers are answered and God is glorified. You see, when you are growing in Christ's likeness, you begin to see pain differently and you also begin to pray differently. He transforms your desires up to the point that you want God's will rather than your own. As we close right now, I gave you guys the opening analogy of a couple. I gave you the open, uh, open analogy of me being an incubator, right? An incubator is an environment for growth. And when I think about what I just told you, how like we can see indicators of growth by our pain and our prayers, I think about a specific couple in our church right now, the Blackwells. And the Blackwells right now, they have a young daughter who's actually in an incubator right now, and she's fighting for her life. Uh, that baby was born in January of this year, um, uh, uh, about 10 months ago. And uh, they've been in the hospital every single since, uh, ever since. And for nine months, they've been unable to gather with the believers because her health is so frail and that when they gather with believers because of COVID and sickness, they, don't, they can't take that risk. And I love just their deep desire even to be with the saints. So last week was their first week back at our uh, church group. And um, last week, we talked about the situation. Our church group prayed for them. And we simply just asked uh, Kennard to share, hey, like, how can we be praying for you? And his prayer, man, it was just so convicting because his prayer really was an illustration of what I just talked about. Of course, yes, we prayed for his daughter's healing. And we know that our all-powerful God will do that. And we're going to pray for that in a second. But I know if I was him, that's probably all I would have prayed for. And I remember sitting out with Kennard many times, and he said, you know what, we pray for our healer, but we know what we also pray for? Man, all we want is for God to be glorified in our lives. Man, all we want 
It's for other families in that NICU to see the God that we serve as a result of the way that we're handling this serious issue. We want God to be glorified. We want people to come to know him as a result of the way that we are living our lives. He illustrates exactly what I'm talking to you today. When you abide in Christ, you begin to see a, a transformation in, 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 in this idea of pain. Pain is not simply now something to get away from. Pain becomes now an occasion for God to bring spiritual growth in your life. He can bring joy even in the pain. And your prayers begin to change. You begin to pray, not my will, but your will be done. So as we all attempt to abide in Christ today, I want to take a moment to pray for you. And I'm also praying for the Blackwell family this morning. So let's pray together. Father, we love you. And we are so grateful that we did not produce spiritual life in ourselves on our own. We were completely dead. We could do nothing to do, to do any of that. We cannot produce spiritual life. And you knew that. You knew our, 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 our poor and helpless state. And into that, you sent your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for willingly coming. And thank you for dying a death on the cross and rising again so that when we trust and believe in you, you will produce spiritual life and change within us. We can call ourselves new creations. Father, forgive us for making our lives about things other than you. Forgive us for thinking that there's joy to be found. There's ultimate joy and peace to be found outside of you. God, we've tried it before. We've searched all over. We can't find nobody better than you. Help us to believe that in our souls. Help us to abide in you. Help us to constantly remember that what you've given us, the home, the environment that you've given us for growth in you is so much better than what our world offers us. And with that said, I want to lift up the Blackwell family. God, will you be there with them today? Will they be aware of your presence? You said that you are the God of all comfort who's able to comfort us in our affliction. So will you comfort that whole family right now? Father, will you be with baby Ruby right now? And she's lying in the incubator, God, and she doesn't understand what's going on around her. She doesn't understand even the English language yet. We know that you can communicate to her in ways that she can understand. So will you envelop her with your love and care? We know that you are the all-powerful God of the universe and that you can heal her body. We know that you can do that. We know that there's nothing that is hard, too hard for you. And so we pray that it is our desire that you will heal her. But in line with what the Blackwells have always prayed, God, we ultimately pray for your glory. We pray that you will be glorified in the life of Ruby May and in the Blackwell family. We pray that many people will come to know you as a result of the peace that the Blackwells have. That you are the God of heaven and that you do all that you please and you always do what is right and good. So we entrust baby Ruby to you. We entrust the Blackwells to you and we give ourselves to you and we trust you. All we want to do is abide in you. All we want to do is adopt your way. Help us to live like that. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. If you agree, say amen. Amen. amen.